You're tuned in to the Vintage House Show, home to the original stories of the history of house music as told by the legends, pioneers, and icons. Hosted by Kevin Mega McFall, Lori Branch, and Lauren Lowry. Welcome to the Vintage House Show Podcast 2023 edition. This year, the Vintage House Show crew will feature the architects of house music. In 2011, Terry Hunter compiled a list of the 100 most influential DJs of house music. Many of these pioneers have been featured on the show before, but this year we unearthed the most silent of these architects. You'll hear their stories on the podcast that will drop 10 a.m. every third Wednesday. Stay tuned for surprise drops throughout the month. Please enjoy and share the Vintage House Show podcast. Today's house music architect is DJ T. Shabri. Tim Harris is a Chicagoan, a Mendel Monarch, and a Northwestern Wildcat. Learn more about his story in part one of the Vintage House Show. Entire name and when you were born and where you were born. Well, my entire name? Yeah. Uh, Tim Harris. I was born in uh, Inglewood, south side of Chicago, 1963. I was born in Woodlawn Hospital, which has now been torn down. So, um, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. So, what's your birthday exactly? My birthday is November 13th, 1963. And um, where did you grow up? Like, what, what block did you live? <clears throat> I, I grew up on. Uh, the address I was born to was 6725 South Normal. Okay. That was a second floor apartment, and I lived there until I was five years old. And then at that point, uh, we moved to the Roseland community. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my address there, which my mom is actually still there, 107 22 South Lowell Avenue. Just right off of Halstead. I grew up on 104th and Green. Oh, we'll see. Homies. That's what I think I might know you from. I wrote my bike around there for years when I was growing up. Please, I did too. I was at Fernwood at the uh, tennis courts over there all the time. Yeah, Fernwood was right up the street from me. And then I spent my entire life, of course, at uh, Mount Vernon. Right. With JRW. Yeah, my my sister went to Mount Vernon for uh, for, uh, 8th grade. Then she went to Finger for high school. How old is your sister? My sister is, let's say she's 57 now. She'll be 58. Because she is older. Yeah, okay. I only have one full-blooded sibling, just my sister and I. Okay. We're a small family. Good, yeah, I have a small family too. Yeah. Okay, so you went to, uh, where did you go to grammar school? I went to, uh, well, I started kindergarten in first grade over there on, right on 67th, right off of um, Marquette Road, Benjamin Banneker, which I okay. believe is still there. Yeah. And then I did all my other, um, Grammar school from first to eighth grade at uh, Edward F. Dunn Elementary on 108th Union, which I think has been renamed Dunn Technology Academy or something. But Interesting. It was called Dunn School when I was there. So Interesting. I finished there in 77. And then where did you go to high school? Mendel, Catholic, the bi level set. Uh, and that's where I kind of got uh, I kind of got the bug for the DJ. There was a guy named Kirk Townsend who was really big. He actually was doing some production and uh, uh, that's when I got, I never DJed there but I got the, I think I got the bug for it. At that point I was watching people spin. Mm-hmm. I thought I could do that one day. Mm-hmm. So. Well we're interviewing Kirk. He just did an event with us where we had Jesse and 
Oh yeah, Kirk and, Townsend. Yeah. So Kirk came, and so we're interviewing him tonight at eight thirty. Yeah, so yeah. so he so he was a uh, an early influence on T. Shopley, I would say. And so you were there from 1981 to 1985? No, that was my Northwestern that was Northwestern, years. so you were there. I was, I was uh, at Mendel from 77 through 81. Gotcha. And then you went to Northwestern. Okay, so yep. you would say, so tell me about your early influences in, in music. So let's say as a young person, you know, what were you listening to? Okay, growing up, my, uh, incidentally, my dad, was not full-time but he was like a part-time DJ so uh, he would uh, he would spin um, some clubs but mostly small venues he actually did my eighth grade dinner dance at Dunn Very nice. in his old so, so so I didn't realize the DNA was there but uh, yeah so I got some of my DJing from him but I grew up listening to mostly um, R&B and jazz um, I was uh, raised big on um, Motown, uh, probably a combination of, uh, my dad was a big uh, jazz guy, so I, I listened to a lot of uh, Count Basie, Jimmy Smith, okay. Cannonball Adderley, um, a lot of jazz. And then on the soul funk side, I mean, it was all James Brown, Wilson Pickett, Aretha Franklin. And uh, of course, they went way back to like the platters and the coasters right. and the clovers and uh, so I grew up, and then my mom from Chattanooga, Tennessee, she was more of a kind of a country person, so I listened, she listened to Glenn Campbell, John Denver, interesting. Uh, Frank Sinatra, I mean, she had, so I had a, a very um, interesting mix, hmm. uh, so yeah, my dad had a huge record collection, so, but you I said, still have that record collection? Um, you know what? My dad, who is now since passed on, he got, I think he left it to my aunt, who I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So, my, my parents got divorced while I was still in school at Northwestern. Okay. He took all the records, and I don't really know what happened to him after that. Yeah. Always, the record collection is always the one people, you don't know where it is, you don't think you care about it until later, right? Yeah, until thinking, where's that record? Like, where is that? So, lots of R&B, jazz, um... And tell me when you thought about DJing. Like, when did that come about? Um, I, I first thought about DJing when I had a friend down the street from me who uh, started DJing, and um, he had a couple of old belt drive Fisher turntables. This was long before uh, you know the Hot Mix Five were out and everything. And but he uh, he was part of a record club, and so they would send him these little twelve inch demos, and he would spin, you know, and I I just watch him. And uh, so a couple times he left me in the basement and I just started playing around with it. And, uh, and I realized that blending was pretty pretty fascinating to me to get two songs that were pretty synced up. Tell and, me the uh, years. What year was that, did you say? This year was, uh, this would have been, yeah, this would have been before I got to college. So I would say this was probably around 79. You were in at Mendel. I was at Mendel at the time. Parties were started at Parties Mendel. were going on. Gotcha. And uh, so. So, I went to as many parties as my, as my parents would let me go to. Because <laughs> so, I usually like to listen to Kirk Spin. But uh, yeah, it's probably around 79 or 80 that I actually got on turntables for the first time and actually attempted to try to start putting mixes together. Um, 
And by the time I got to Northwestern, by the time I got to 81, I had pretty much had my own two set of turntables. I had picked up more interest, started buying my own uh, records, um, had built up a pretty decent collection. And so when I got to Northwestern, I, pre I had two turntables, a mixer. Um, but I had no aspirations of getting on the radio and mixing any clothes. I was just doing it for fun because it was just it was a, more of a hobby for me. Right. So right. that's that's kind of how I got into mixing. Just if he hadn't, if my friend down the street had never bought those turntables. I don't know how I'd have gotten into it. Mm -hmm. So your friend down the street bought the turntables, or yeah, he had two turntables, and uh, and then I bought my own eventually. But it, but it, it was watching him, and he was putting together some decent blends. And it was right about that time that mixing started to become a little bit more mainstream. You'd hear more on the radio. And I was like, mm, okay. I'm going to take you back a little bit. So All your right. first, you saw your first Mendel party. So what, what do you remember about that? And so what year that would that have been? Like your freshman year or your like sophomore? Or probably, my, uh, probably my sophomore year. I would say probably 78, 79. 78, gotcha. um, I remember the... Uh, the parties were in the gymnasium, so there were two levels. They should call them bi-level sets. Mm -hmm. And um, very, very densely populated, hot, humid, packed, steamy gymnasium. Right. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing that was out then uh, was they called it, uh, I guess it was, it was punking out. So you had uh, Debo, Whip It, um, Charlie Colello, Sing, Sing, Sing. A lot of these songs were out big. And so there was a lot of, uh, I think that's when dancing became more, um, you know, more physical, you know, you're punking out and everything. You had the B-52s, Rock Lobster and all that. And, uh, and I remember um, those parties, they ended at 12 and they didn't really get started till, till 10. So it was a, that was one issue. The parties just never lasted long. Right. <laughs> it was a Catholic school that kicked you all out. All right. um, no drinking, it was a dry party, you know, but I do remember Kirk on the mic up there, and he would he would say certain things, you know, just kind of get the crowd going, make some jokes. Um, and I probably spent probably half the time observing of what was going on up on the on the stage with the DJs as well as dancing. So um, really wasn't that big of a dancer, you know. I was more there to just kind of experience the music, and because uh, I've always like I had a big musical background, I've played music, so it, I, I was kind of drawn to it. Tell me about your playing music. Um, I started playing drums when I was probably probably ten or twelve. You know, okay. yeah. And I got my first set of drums uh, probably when I was a teenager. So, uh, and I played in a number of bands. I played tenor sax for a number of bands in high school, and I played a little bit of bass. And and when I got to Northwestern, I started writing and singing in the choir. I was a part of NCE. Mm. So at 10 or 12, you were playing the drums. How were you playing the drums? How did you get a cold drums if you didn't get your first set until you were a teenager? Uh, again, my friend down the street. His <laughs> cousin had a set of drums. And so uh, I watched him play. I watched them play as a group because they had a little uh, Christian group. And I would watch them play. And, uh, and I would be left in the basement down there from time to time. And I eventually started tinkering around. And about probably about six months later, I was actually able to keep a decent rhythm. Again, I grew up on a lot of James Brown. You hear a lot of James Brown rhythm. It's, it's, it's just it's just in the DNA. Right. It was only a matter of time. Because I, I was beating on boxes and window seals all the time. My mom would. Interesting. She had to get me a set of drums to kind of keep me from tearing up the house. That's your friend, Dan What was his name? Dwight. Dwight Middleton. He was, uh, 
he became Dr. Mix on my show. He was one of my guest mixers okay. on, on my show on WNUR. And uh, he has since passed away, so unfortunately. Okay, so 10 or 12, you're playing drums with your friend down the street, you get your own set of drums, and then you create a band, or a band forms, or what happened? No, when I had my set of drums, I ended up, um, I played, um, I played in some gospel groups, because I was kind of, I started going to church in, in, when I was about 16, so when I got my set of drums, I was playing with a group called Soul Salvation, okay. and so I was the drummer, and there was a bass player, and guitar, and everything, um. So I was kind of playing drums with them while I was kind of playing sax for another band called Night Flight while I was in high school. So I was kind of playing the drums and the sax at the same time. So my assumption is Soul Salvation, you were playing at different churches in the, in the area. Yeah, we would actually play in churches. We played because uh, uh, the church we went to at the time was Vernon Park Church of God. Okay. Um, Addie Wyatt, who was there with uh, Willie Barrow, they were big of the Operation Push, a lot of mm -hmm. Eugene Sawyer and uh, a lot of people there. Uh, we played with that church, and then, of course, the Church of God, Churches of God, in that same denomination area, we would play there, so mm. uh, it's pretty good. And then the night flight, mm. where were you all going there? We didn't go, we just did talent shows. We did talent shows, oh, actually we did a few shows, um, libraries, civic centers, you know, just local places where we could get some exposure, um, but we, we, you know, we just... Did typical Earth, Wind, Fire, Cameo, Lakeside type of music. That was back when the horn sections were really, really big. And, we, uh, and so we did, we did pretty well. Interesting. So tell me, like, and you said sort of talent shows, and you said like so libraries. Tell me like exactly where, I mean, we're Chicago, so where exactly did you play that? Did yeah, you remember? Okay. Yeah. Did you do like high school talent shows? Yeah, the high school talent Lindblom, shows we did. We just did. We did. We did mostly Mendel. So just Mendel talent Mendel shows. Okay. Talent, <laughs> yeah, we did Mendel talent shows, and uh, I'm trying to think, did we do any other? I can't think of any other schools that we've done. Um, library? And I can't remember the library. It was on the south side. I can't remember. It was the. I don't know if it was the Pullman or Palmer Pullman Library. I think it might have been that one. I know it was on the far south side, and. Uh, and then we did a few outdoor, like in a park somewhere. I don't even really know. I, I can't remember. Just, That's good enough. <laughs> I, just, I just remember, my, remember I remember my mom and my dad. My they, they would come around and watch. That's nice. That was nice. See, what would be nice for us, you know, as an archive, is if you had, you know, the flyers or something for that. That would be yeah. really interesting. Not to look around. Just my, check out and see my, what may be around for us. Okay, so. Um, talent shows, etc. You get your two turntables. Where'd you buy your turntables? Pacific Stereo at the time. I don't even Where think there's. That? I don't even think they're still open. Pacific Stereo. There should be one right on 95th on West 95th, um, just before you get to Western, because the Plaza, Evergreen Plaza, was 95th. Mm -hmm. yeah. But Pacific Stereo, uh, Pacific Stereo. Sorry, Pacific Stereo was just east of 95th. It was kind of like in an area where the. I guess Andreana Furs and all those gotcha. stores are just before you get there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I bought. I used to buy all my cassette tapes. I used to mix on there. I spent a lot of time in Pacific Stereo. I bought my equalizer. Yeah, I bought my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I bought my mixer from Radio Shack. My first one it was a little cheap, realistic mixer. But uh, so you got so you got your two turntables. How old were you? Sixteen? How old you say you were? About. I got my 30. first turntables. I was probably yeah. Probably, yeah, about 16 or 17, it was before I got to college. 
So you already had them. You got your mixer from probably Radio Shack. Yeah. Um, same time, 1617? Yeah. You got same, same time. time. Same time. Okay. Yeah. And so you just practicing your house? Just yeah, my basement. My basement. Fortunately, like I said, my dad, he already had a huge record collection and he had a nice, he had a mixer himself, you know, because he would play the house together. But I just put my stuff alongside. Okay. And he would just, he'd come and he'd actually watch me play and mix. Um, he'd watch me mix. Um, and, I, and that's, I would say that's why I really owned my craft in my basement right before I got to Northwestern. Gotcha. Because I, uh, I spent hours and it was just that, that, that was the time where my skills, my basic skills, the scratching, the cutting, the blending, the backspin, spinning behind your back, everything came to place, came together at that point. That is really interesting. Yeah. So you didn't play out until, until you got to Northwestern, so you just were no, just practicing? No, I had no, I had no, matter of fact, when I got to Northwestern because of the curriculum, I really didn't think I was going to DJ at all until I ran into Lee Cross, Easy Lee, and then things kind of took a different, but I had, no one probably would have ever, unless they came to my dorm room, they would have never known I was would never DJ. So you took all that to school. Yeah, because I would watch the other DJs, you know, there were other DJs that were doing all the campus parties, you know, at Norris, you know, was, you know the frat parties, and mm -hmm. I'd go, you know, I'd listen to them, and, you know, with a critical ear, quite, <laughs> but uh, I never really had any, you know, I didn't have any aspirations to, to spend parties on campus, I was like, that's a lot of work. <laughs> who's going to carry all this equipment? <laughs> That's like, true, yeah, who's going to do all that? So, um, so let's talk about sort of high school to, to college. So my assumption is um, you were at Mendel, you were a pretty decent student. Tell me about your grades and mm. your, what was going on. Yeah, I was, uh, I was a pretty decent student. I was actually uh, one of two juniors that got at, uh, inducted to the National Honor Society. Mm. So I graduated eighth in my class. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I... I uh, well, I, I give credit to my mom. My mom stayed on my case, so uh, I, uh, I was I was an honor student. So I mean, obviously, I had to get to Northwestern. So yeah, my, my grades were pretty good. I, I got the Spanish award for the uh, at the senior graduation. I got the you know the top Spanish award. Mm -hmm. I guess my my grades in Spanish were higher than any other over the four years. Um, I was in the Junior Engineering Technological Society. We placed uh, over Lindblom and Lane Tech in some competitions. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called Jets. Yeah, so yeah, Mendel was. Yeah. We placed in first in physics, second in chemistry. I was on the academic teams there. So yeah, we we, we held our own. Very know. good. Yeah, at that time, Mendel was actually when I first started there. It was one of the top ten college preparatory schools in the nation. Mm. You know, but it started. You know, Things happen. Yeah. So yeah, I graduated with about three point six grade point average. It was pretty, pretty good. I mean, I kind of slock slocked off in my senior year, but uh, it got me already into, done, right? Yeah, it was like it got me into Northwestern. So I, I was actually the only. I was also the only student that uh, Mac. I finished all my math in my junior year. I took no math classes in um, my senior year because I, I placed out of all the math. I was the only student that took no math in my class because I went through algebra. Already done it. Yeah. I had finished all the math classes, so yeah. So. And so, um, why Northwestern? What I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. My mom, I only applied to one college. Are you kidding? I only applied to Northwestern. That was I didn't apply anywhere else. Why? My sister is a graduate from Northwestern. Oh. 
Her husband's a graduate from Northwestern. I have a cousin who's a graduate from Northwestern. I just had a niece that graduated from Northwestern. Interesting. And, uh, so my mom said, you're going to Northwestern? Mm. That was it, huh? I didn't have a choice. Now, I didn't want to go to Northwestern because I figured it would not afford me enough social outlet. You know, I want to have a little bit of fun while I was in college. Sure. So, uh, but obviously, I found ways to make make. It's funner than you would have thought. Like people don't realize that you're still a good enough black enough black people to enjoy yourself. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That was that was an adjustment too, because I, I mean, I gone to school, lived everywhere, and just predominantly black areas and schools. So, Um, I was secretly hoping that Northwestern wouldn't accept me, (laughs) so then I could go to Northern or somewhere where I want to. You know, like you know. They uh, they accepted me so that why Northwestern my mom there you go <laughs> I didn't have a choice I I have a very similar story that I won't share on this discussion but um, okay so you're at Northwestern right. parties are going on um, so just would you say the like freshman year you just where what was the first which party you remember where you went to first who you saw who was DJing or who was what was going on yeah there was a guy named uh, Nick Gilly you know Nick. Yeah, he, he was, was still around. Yeah. he was not finishing school. Yeah, so he was, still yeah. so there when he I was, was like, you know, at least for the parties I went to. I think the first party I started going to probably Alphas and the AKAs because everyone would have a party at the Lewis Room on it would either be the Deltas or the Sigma. So I basically just started going there um, my freshman year, and there was this like I said, Nick Gilly, and uh, he was okay. Um, and at this point, I had met Lee Cross because I met him at the, uh, at the freshman uh, mixer. And he and I somehow connected up and started talking about music. And so he and I knew that we each would spin records in our room, but we never really thought about doing anything else. So when we got to the Lewis room, we would watch Nick. You know, we were like, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, that's who, he was the big guy. I think... Uh, who else was spinning at the time? I had a frat brother, or I have a frat brother, Leroy Cooper, who was on the WNUR. I think he was spinning for a short while. You are listening to Vintage House on WNUR with DJ Lori Branch, Kevin Mega McFall, and Lauren Laurie. Spinning for a short while. But really, Nick was like, I mean, he was like the man, because I mean, I mean, the women liked him, and you know, he was, you know. We he's like, beautiful. No one really cared what he was spinning. And yeah, anyway. we were just like, oh, Nick, Nick. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> so there was a little, um, you know, there, there was a little ambition and motivation to say, you know, if he can do that, listen, we, we can do this right. <laughs> so, but, gotcha. Yeah. So you're spinning in your room, you're hearing the different people. What happened? How'd you end, end up on NUR? I didn't put NUR in love. Well, Lee and I went down to see Leroy Cooper on the on the air one time. We just went down there. This was Tell probably, me you think that was. That was my first year, for sure. Okay. Uh, I would say 81, 82. I um, think it was like fall quarter 81? You know, it's probably, I'm going to say it was uh, 82. It was probably either. The winter of 82. Winter, yeah, winter, spring 82. Um, at that point, I started looking to pledge. <laughs> so I went to the Alpha thing. So I had more interest in the Sigma, so since Leroy was a Sigma, I went down there, and, and actually Lee went online 
the signal. We crossed, but he, he didn't finish. So I think that was the real reason why we went down there to see Leroy, because we were interested in being Sigmas. But at the same time, we got a chance to see, I mean, this huge mixing board. And, you know, at that point, it was just all, you know, pop, you know, controls. Right. And, uh, and I don't know if you saw the old studio. Just, just a bunch of yes, I was in the old studio. I'm right after you, so, yeah, so it was just <laughs> like this change. little hole in the basement with all these record shelves and everything, right. and you know, stuff is all over the place, not very well organized. You got this little public service announcement, you know, carousel, you just pop the cartridges in, and look very, I don't know, I would say pretty, I was, in, I was intimidated by it. I was like, I was like, who can sit in a room like this, cramped, and just talk to a mic, just hang in there, and then you. But um, so that was my first experience going down to the radio station, and um, that was. Uh, Did that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. So you saw Leroy. What was Leroy playing? He was playing. Uh, he was playing R and B stuff. He wasn't playing. He was playing like uh, probably the stuff you probably have heard on probably GCI stuff like you know, Steve Arrington, Slade, you know, more mainstream stuff. We, he hadn't quite. Actually, NUR was not even close to the imports hip hop house era yet. So he was just playing your typical R and B that you probably hear on BMX. And uh, it was the standard soul show. At standard that time. soul show. Yeah, standard yeah. soul show. Yeah. All right, and so then, um, so Lee got a show, right? So Lee ended up getting a show. Um, tell me about that. Like, do you remember just all of a sudden he got a show? Did you all have a discussion about that? Or? Yeah, he just showed up on the air one day. <laughs> I, I had no idea that he was, uh, he had any uh, connections with NUR. I don't know who he talked to to get on the air. Um, but, you know, he told me he was spinning on the air. So I started kind of listening to him. So that's when I, I started going down to the station more because he and I were in the same class. We were close. And, uh, and right about that time, he started spinning parties more. Because he, he went out and bought what was then the, I mean, this was like, if you had the 1,200 Techniques turntables that were 32 pounds each, he bought two of those. He bought two big, huge speakers, some police mar lights, and new marketing. I mean, he had a setup, and he started doing uh, basement, uh, basement parties at the complex. Foster Walker Complex. And that's when I really... You know, started hanging out with him and uh, watching him, and he was an amazing spinner. I mean, he could backspin, and he was very quick. I mean, he would just make it look effortless, bam, bam. And um, so, actually, I would go to his room now because he lived <laughs> up on the north side, and I would spend time in his room spinning on his uh, equipment. And uh, I never got him to put one of my mixes on the, on the air, but uh, after about the first year of him being on the air, he became, I guess. You probably know the, the, the position. Was it like Streepy producer? producer yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was right about that time that he started nudging me to consider you know, getting a radio show. But no, I had no idea he was had a radio show. He was just on there. But he took the campus by storm. Mm. I mean, it was after after he started spinning, it was like, Nick, who? Right. <laughs> he, he had a really good record collection. He was from New York, mm -hmm. so he could, he could blend a lot of the East Coast kind of easy stuff, Sharon Red, Ross Silk, you know, you know, Prelude labels, that type of stuff, South Soul Orchestra stuff, kind of the beginnings of the house. And then he'd take you on up into the high energy imports that you'd hear at that point. 
And so, it, I mean, he and, and he was uh, he would multi he was multicultural too. He could, he could reach I and mean, he was spun all across himself. So he became a strong influence very quickly after our first after our freshman year. So would you say he started doing so? He got on the air probably what you're. Because you all just went down there in winter of 82. Was he spending like that same year, your freshman year? No, no. I would say he probably got on. I would say our sophomore year because I know he, he pledged Sigma his sophomore year. And that would have been, let's say, 82. And so I'm thinking it was right after he got off drop line, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. That shortly thereafter he just showed up on, on the radio. So I want to say... 82 going to 83 probably. Gotcha. All right, and so then he started nudging. First of all, you know what? Where did you get your money to, to buy your turntables when you were 16? <laughs> well, fortunately, I, um, I, I, was a, uh, I was a mail carrier. I was a teenager. Well, you call it an NTE. So you, as long as you were 16, you could. So, and they paid me, I don't know, $5 an hour. So I, I put in some overtime. Um, and I also, fortunately, was able to get internships at uh, Bell Labs in uh, Naperville mm -hmm. at the time. And so they would give me a stipend. So they, they paid pretty good. And so I was, you know, I just did programming, you know, write little C programs on Unix mainframe. Mm -hmm. And they, they, I'd get a check every week. Okay. And since I was living at home with mom and not having to pay bills yet, <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I can start buying me some equipment. So I, so I built out my equipment pretty much on the uh, money, the money I got from Bell Labs. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I just I need to go back to that. So, um, so Natalie is encouraging you to just to do something. What was he saying? What what, what did he tell you? What he, you heard him? You were like, hey, what's going on? But then, how did he nudge you in that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we were at the point that he began doing some parties. He would let me spin with him. Mm. Um, I mean, I would spend a lot in his room, but when he would spend parties at the complex, I'd be there because I live in the complex. And so every now and then he'd give me a little bit of time on the tables just to kind of see, because I needed to get my nerve up because that just didn't, it just didn't seem comfortable to be behind the turntables, not want to make a mistake, not want to, not want to bump the needle right. or the record's <laughs> going to skip, you know, and the, you know, you're just thinking like, there's so many things I could go wrong here, you know, <laughs> and everybody's going to stop and say, man, <laughs> so uh, he gave me a little bit of time on the turntables, and, uh, and so what we ended up eventually doing was he would start off with the slower BPMs, 105 up to 115, because that's kind of more your B-boy, you know. And then from 118 on up, kind of like the high-energy stuff, he let me do that mm -hmm. for about a half hour or so. And then I think it was from there that he said, man, T, you ought to think about getting a show, <laughs> you know. And um, so before I did that, again, we, we did a spectacle to you before. We've shared a show from 10 to 3 in the morning, so... He began telling me that, um, I, I can't quite say exactly what he was telling me, but I, I, he said I pretty much had the talent to carry a show. You know, um, He's like, but these guys can do it, T, you can do it. Right. <laughs> so, and so over a period of time. And I, and I started getting more encouragement mm -hmm. uh, from people. You know, we're saying, oh, man, that's pretty good. That's good. So over a period of time, I, uh, I guess my confidence in my, in my mixing skills became a little bit to the point where I was... I was ready to do it, but 
you know, uh, I would say Lee um, at that time because he had um, the visibility and uh, he made the turntables available to me. <laughs> um, that, that, that helped me to get my nerve up. And so, um, and like I said, he and I mix differently. He's more of a cut and scratcher thing. I'm more of a blender, um, groove type of, because I, I like the beat tracks. And I like to play with the EQ faders. I like to, you know, play with the dynamics of the music more than he does. He, he's more he's more of a dazzling technique. I mean, yeah. you can sit there and watch him and your mouth just... <laughs> so, so we developed our own niche techniques as well over, over time. So. Gotcha. And so in Chicago, so around that time, you know, how Mitz 5 is going on, What how are you being influenced sort of <clears throat> musically? And you, you said you, you had your own record collections. Those are two different questions. Where were you getting your records? Oh, I get my records from a number of places. Uh, there was one place uh, that not too many people knew about. It was called Gramophone up on sure. Clark Street. Mm -hmm. There was another place called Out of the Past, which is on Clark. Mm -hmm. There was a place on uh, State Street, which is actually I think it was called State Street Records. And then there was you are listening to Vintage House on WNUR with DJ Lori Branch, Kevin Mega McFall, and Lauren Laurie. Thanks for listening to the Vintage House Show podcast. This week's T. Shab Lee interview will be followed up next week with part two. Stay tuned for great information on the history of house music from DJ T. Shab Lee.